0: So good morning everybody, my name is Hendrik. as Seko has told you. For those of you that's not met me yet, you've not missed much, no I'm joking, <laughs> I would like to say I'm joking. Um, it's good to see you all here this morning, those of you joining us online as well, it's lovely to stand here together this morning about to learn from God and, and from His Word and, and maybe we'll discover something new or maybe we'll remember something that we forgotten years ago and that we knew back then or maybe we're going to make our shopping list for tomorrow, who knows. Maybe we're going to decide what we have for lunch, but whatever you do during the service, know that God is doing it with you. And if he tells you not to buy something, take it off the list. And if he tells you to change your lunch plans, change them. Um, but whatever you do is between him and you, um, the rest of us will discover and we'll explore together how to live a better life with God. Now that I've guilt-tripped you very well, let's get into the law. Just for a little bit more. No, I'm joking. I want to start this morning... With Proverbs 4. From verse 23. Uh, there it is. Um, so let's read that together. Above all else. Above all else. And this, this is after. This is after the father said to the son. Seek wisdom. looking, Seeking wisdom. Make that your number one priority. Learn and discover what wisdom is all about. He says, after he says this. He says, above all else. Guard your heart. For everything you do. Flows from it. Everything you do. Flows from your heart. So guard your heart. Isn't that precious? And that is sometimes also translated as. For your heart is the wellspring of all life. It's where all life bubbles up from. Is from your heart. And I love the way the message puts it and the message translated. So, And the message says it this way. Keep vigilant watch over your heart. That is where life starts. It's great, isn't it? And that makes it worth looking after. And that makes it worth guarding. And that makes it worth having vigilant care for it. But I will forgive you for sitting there thinking, what is he on about? Is he pulled the wrong preach out of the pocket? What's that got to do with the Ten Commandments? I say everything, and I would like to take you on a journey with me as I, as I like to show you what I mean with this verse being the Ten Commandments. So let's start, and I, I'm going to take you on a bit of a journey um, through Exodus in the Old Testament. I'm going to take you to Matthew in the New Testament. We're going to be looking at some other books and some other verses here and there. It's going to be a right old buffet of text or a smorgasbord of text, and hopefully you'll experience it as a cornucopia of pleasure. We'll see. So um, so let's start. Um, and I want to start with Exodus 20, verse 13 to 17. That is the bit of the Ten Commandments that I have been asked to talk to you about today. So, and it goes like this. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife nor is male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. That's quite intense, isn't it? And it's quite, I think, rather difficult to keep. Well, maybe the murder bit is a bit easier than the rest, but it's quite difficult to not covet your neighbor's BMW 3 Series, Mark, whatever, uh, when he tears away in the morning, and you late as well, but you've got to hand-start your vehicle because it's not quite as as... as, as fantastic as he is it can be difficult but let's turn up the volume let's just take it that step further and see what jesus has to say about these verses in the the ten commandments and we'll read from matthew 5 verse 21 to 30 it's quite a bit so i'll be as quick as i can and i'll start at verse 21 you have heard that it was said to those of old you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment but i say to you everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the fires of hell. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Then go and make it right with him. First be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. And then if we look from verse 27, Jesus goes on and says, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And makes it even harder, doesn't it? It It takes it that step further. It's not just your actions now. It's not just whether you walk up and guide somebody on a better way. It's about what's in your heart. That's what Jesus goes with this. Because even if you think about it, even if it's in your heart, you've already broken the law. See, it just takes it that step further. It's about what's in your heart. But as you've heard a few times during the series, it's not about the letter of the law. It's about the spirit of the law. It's about the heart of the law. So what is the heart of the law in these verses from the Ten Commandments that I've read this morning? And one way to find this is, is to examine the values that's expressed through these verses and through these bits of the Ten Commandments. And Jesus expresses it so well. When he goes and he he expressed to us the overall heart of the Ten Commandments. And this happened when a lawyer asked him a question to test him. And if we go to Matthew and we look at it there, it says in verse 36, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I'm gonna read that again. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So everything they knew about God, everything that they knew about the nature of God depends on these two. Commandments of love. That's what Jesus said. And this means that the law represents the desires and the values of God. The law is a revelation of God. It's a revelation of God's nature. And it's a revelation of of what God wants for us. And in Hebrews 8 verse 10, it won't come up. But in Hebrews 8 verse 10, God highlights this in his plan for us. And his great plan. When he says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Yeah? I shall put it in their hearts and minds. I will be their God and they will be my people. God's law is... Or can be life to and life for us. How does that compare with how you felt 10 minutes ago when I was reading all these things? Thou shall, thou shall not, you must, you must not. The Ten Commandments shows us God's nature. And shows us God's plan for us. But the psalmist says, uh, sorry, I'm going to say psalm. It's how I grew up. I didn't say psalm, so bear with me. Um, as I say, psalm or psalm, whichever one comes up. Have a bit of a giggle if you want. It's okay. I'm thick-skinned. Uh, so the psalmist says it's so beautifully in Psalm 119. And we're going to read all the verses. We're going to read the whole Psalm 119 this morning. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Joking. It's a bit long. We'll only read the first 175 verses. <laughs> you hope. Now, enough silliness, um, let's crack on. I would like to read you a few passages from Psalm 119 because this psalm is so beautiful, it's gorgeous. When you read this psalm and you, and you do a bit of study about this psalm, it is an amazing psalm. It is so beautiful. I, I found some stuff in it while I was, I was studying for this. That was just unbelievable. I just couldn't believe it. I was like, what? How have I never read this? Probably because I've never read it. Um, But anyway, uh, let's read a few verses. I'm going to start with verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Sounds familiar? How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. And then verse 16, I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. And I will delight in verse 47, and I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. And then verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. It's amazing, isn't it? Have you looked at the law like that? I haven't. But this continues through the whole of this psalm. And it's a poetic marvel. It's a beautiful thing. But I ask myself, what's going on here? You know, what, what, what does this guy know that I don't? Because I've never looked at thou shall, thou shall not, and go, yay, I like that. I've never done that. All the must-dos, must-do nots. I can't say that it was really a delight for me. And the world tells us, and we're being told over and over again, that it is not the way to go. It can't be a delight, it's a pain. It's a millstone around your neck. It's what's wrong with the world, it's what's wrong with Christianity. It's all these type of things that the world tells us. He doesn't say that. So what does he know that I don't know? And that's the question that I kept asking myself over and over again. And maybe I should have done that in my life at some point when I had to make some decisions about doing things and doing things not, maybe the not more so than the do. And it's perhaps best that I don't tell you some of these stories, seeing as this goes out over YouTube. Um, I'm happy to tell you some of these after the service, should you want to know. Or maybe I shouldn't. Anyway, made some bad decisions. Um, I think we all have trying to avoid the do's and the do nots. This psalm is known as a hymn psalm. So it was sung. It was a song that was sung. And still today, you get lots and lots of versions of the song. Amy Grant did one, which was absolutely beautiful at some point. Others did as well, I should say. Um, it's It's a beautiful song in itself. But it is also what's called an acrostic psalm. Big word. What does it mean? It just means that every eight verses starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. All the way from the beginning all the way through to the end and the Eastern Orthodox Church believed just a little bit of interest that this is how David taught Solomon the Hebrew alphabet is through this psalm but also how he taught Solomon the alphabet of life brilliant isn't it who wrote proverbs um, so but this theme of the verses is 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 a prayer of someone who delights in and lives by the sacred law, that lives by the Ten Commandments. And if you look at for Psalm 1 and for Psalm 19 and for Psalm 119, it's all known as the law of the Psalms, but this one stands out because it is that prayer, it is that that jubilation of somebody that's got hold of something. He's got hold of something, and, that, and that's the key here. What has he got hold of? Unlike the other divinic psalms, this psalm is not attributed to David in the text itself. But scholars believe that there's enough evidence to say that David did write this psalm. But I must say as well, there's also scholars that believe that it was written by a scribe or someone else. I believe there's enough evidence to say that it was written by David if you look at how the psalm unfolds. But this acrostic form and the use of the law words in the psalm, like your your statutes, like the law, your word, all these type of things, all builds up to one thing and it all forms the framework of this elaborate prayer in which the law is held up as a source of blessing and a source of right conduct. And to Psalmist pledges to dedicate his life to this and to the law. And just another bit of interest here, an interesting thing, the British politician William Wilberforce would recite this psalm in its totality as he walked from Parliament through Hyde Park on his way home every day he worked. It's a lot to remember. But then as well, apparently Charles Spurgeon liked this psalm so much that he was quoted to have said, we might do well to commit it to memory. And right there is your homework. (laughs) It's because it is so beautiful. But it is because there's something in this psalm that just, just ignites your heart, that just sets you on fire. And if you grasp that, and if we can grasp that, it'll be amazing. It is so beautiful and so, so rich in wisdom, this psalm. I used to avoid reading it when I was younger. Because it was so long. It was like, oh my gosh, here we go. The minister's reading psalm 119. We're not going to get out in time. But not anymore. I used to think that this psalm was a call to study. You must study the Bible. You must do It's not. And I hope that you will discover that with me this morning about how wrong I was. Many of the verses in this psalm mention God's word in one line. And then in the second line, it connects it to God's revelation. And it connects it to a blessing that comes from God as a result of following his law. And that's the beauty of it. It's not just thou shalt, thou shalt not. It's about more. It's about what comes next. And the other beautiful thing of this psalm is that there's evidential growth in the psalm. And it's a beautiful thing. In the beginning of the psalm, it's all about a young man's voyage and a young man's um, discoveries. And it's got that character that it was written by a younger man. And as the psalm unfolds and go later and later, it becomes clearer and clearer that now it's kind of somebody that's lived this. Somebody that's had a bit of wisdom here. Somebody that's had a bit of experience. Maybe it is now an older person. Somebody with deep experience, careful observation, and earnest meditation that has seen and that has spotted something in this. It is the honest words that just bubble up when God speaks to you, when God's come into your life, and when what God says gets into your heart. It is an an outcry of what God can do for us and what God's heart is for us. It's not about Bible study. It's about the thoughtful outcry that rises when a real life meets a real God. And when real blessing comes as a result of doing what God wants us to do and God's heart. David rejoiced in the fact that people who obey God's word wholeheartedly enjoy his blessing. And that's clear in this psalm. And I guess he should know. He's been on both sides through his life, hasn't he? Slayed Goliath. And then there was the Bathsheba thing. So he's been, he's been through it all. He's been through the mill when it comes to the law. But he knows that God's love is key. He knows what the law is all about. The law is about God's heart for us. And that's key. And he discovered that. And that's that's what I think is so phenomenal and so fantastic. And it brings it so well out in this Psalm. And it brings the revelation that God's law is not death, but that God's law is life to us. That it is not a millstone around our neck. But a rock on which we can build our lives. That's what he discovered. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It's the rock on which you can build your life. That's what the law is. You know, it is not an Old Testament, Old Covenant thing that because Jesus has died for us and, and, and stuff, it is now fulfilled. And therefore, we can just write it off. And live by grace and yay, everybody's happy. It's a beautiful, beautiful expression of God's love. But the magnificent it is, the law is that magnificent key by which we understand God's heart and God's will for us. It is the cipher by which we find the relationship that helps us to do life better, to do life wholesomely, fruitfully, and contently. But you might ask, what's the purpose of the law? And and where does it come from? And for that, we need to look at a little bit of context here. And there's so much to look at if you look at the history of Israel in in, in this period. But I just want to look at a fraction of what was going on when the Ten Commandments and the law were given to Israel. They've recently, well, they were enslaved in Egypt, weren't they? At a proper miserable time. Um, And then they were freed. So now you've got A massive group of people. Thousands of people. Walking through the desert. No longer enslaved. No longer. Under any rules. No longer under any. Judgment or any. Of those type of things. They're no longer under a system. And no longer under legislation. And they just had one man. To give them godly guidance. Just Moses. And his people, of course, but that's what they had. Can you imagine the carnage of thousands of people walking through the desert with no rules, no legislation, no nothing, as the days and the weeks and the months went on and on and on? And we can see a little bit of that in the story of the golden calf. Given half a chance, ooh, there they go. So, but God needed to guide Moses and his people to live out His heart amongst each other, to reflect his love amongst themselves, give them a better life. The nature of man since the fall is separated from God's nature, and the law is how to operate within God's nature. That's why it's come. Being outside the law, we are no longer content and no longer blessed. I thought and prayed about majoring on contentment in these verses. um, And making that the focus of the preaching. And and being content is a big part of these verses of of the Ten Commandments. It is. But there's so much more than that in this. There's so much more about these verses in the Bible. There is a connection in the Ten Commandments that runs into everything in the Bible. Every element is connected to this. The whole history of God and his people, from the birth of man until this moment right here, right now, is hugged into the beauty that is God's law. For God so loved the world. For God so loved you that he wanted you to live a better life. And that's why he gave you the law so that you can live that better life. And when we understand God's heart for us with the Ten Commandments, we see that it is not about do's and do nots. Yes, it is a set of rules, but I believe it is more, it's more like parameters to a content and a successful life. It's more about if you do not, your life will be better. If you do not, you will start life better. And do life better. If you do not murder, will your life be better? I reckon so. If you do not steal, will your life be better? I reckon so as well. If you do not covet, your life will be better, most certainly. Your life will be better. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, Will your life not be better? If you love your neighbor like yourself, your life will be better. That's what it's about. This is God's heart for us. This is how much he loves us and wants us to have a great life with him. It's not about him ruling over us. The law is a way we unlock God's blessing in our lives. That's the way I believe we should look at the law. We should look at the Ten Commandments. But hang on, this brings me back to the beginning. If your heart is the wellspring of life, yeah? And does that mean that if my heart or our hearts grasp this fact of God's love and God's plan for us and our hearts is filled with God's love, will our lives not overflow With God's love. And what would be the impact on us and on the community? I'm going to let that sink in for a moment. While the Ten Commandments roll over your thoughts again. And you think about the law. And you think about what it is that God wants to say. If we grasp this. And apply this to our life decisions and their implications. And the impact on other people's lives. And decisions. It's massive. If I choose to be content with what I do or do not have, then I will be a blessing to other people, to their days and to their lives, and maybe even to their life decisions. By not coveting my neighbor's wife, I will not break up his marriage. I will not ruin his kid's life. I will not ruin his life. By not coveting my neighbor's ox or donkey, maybe a car and bicycle in today's terms. It will mean that he can enjoy it freely. He can enjoy the fruits of his labor because I won't be dealing with him from an envious heart. And I won't be stealing his bike either, which would make his life a lot easier. And it also, furthermore, have the impact on our lives massively. It means I will not pursue things that takes my focus away from those that depend on my love. Because my love will be here in the moment. It won't be there somewhere else. I will not constantly feel like I'm losing out. I will be happier. I will not chase commercialism. Which means I'll have a bit more money that I can do with better things. I will not fill my days with unhealthy time wasting, looking at other people's lives or holidays and wishing it could be me that is in that magical place or have that experience or those perfect kids or that caring and loving husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is. And maybe, just maybe, I'll have more time for God in my life. Psalm 119, verse 165 says it beautifully. Great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. Great peace, not just a little bit. Great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. So guard your heart. Align your heart. Set your heart on God's heart for you. For it is the wellspring of all life. The law is the wellspring of all life. And it is amazing. I would like to conclude with a little revelation that I picked up. So you're going to have to walk with me through this. So engage your your brain if you want to. If the shopping list is done. Just... Spare me a moment, because it is a little bit, if this, then that, and if that, then this. So bear with me. Jesus is God's word, right? As is written in John 1. And God sent him because he loves us, as is written in John 3.16. Yeah? The law is the word of God and His love, as is depicted by Jesus in Matthew 22. Still with me? With all the ifs and all the things. So is it fair then to say that Jesus is the law? Have a think about that. You don't have to agree with me. But just have a think about that. But then Jesus says this. I've not come to abolish the law. But to fulfill it. So in essence. Be the living representation. Of God's heart for us. He didn't abolish the law. He fulfilled the law. He lived it out. He fulfilled it. And then, if Jesus is in our hearts, as promised by God, when we accept Him as our personal Savior, He takes residence in our hearts. Thus the law and the love of God is in our minds and written on the tablets of our heart. And what did God say in Hebrew 8, verse 10? That I will write my law in the minds and the hearts of my people, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. So, when we accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, and Jesus takes hold of our heart and takes residence in our heart, God's plan is fulfilled in us because His law is written on our hearts, Jesus is in our hearts. And I think, for me, that's worth a hallelujah. I think it's fantastic to know that God has got a plan. He's always had a plan. Always had a plan. And you have always been at the center of his plan. And he's used all these amazing people in the Bible to reach the amazing you. Because he's known you, the Bible says, from before you were made. So everything that he put in motion, everything that he's done, this law that he has given to Moses and Israel, is written for you so that you can have a better life with him. Isn't that fantastic? And that's how much he loves you. Think about it for a moment. That's how much he loves you, specifically. And it's great. And if it's something you want to be part of. Then you can do so. You can come to God. You can come to Jesus. Because he's freely available. There is no things that you have to do. There's no traditions. There's no flogging. There's there's nothing you have to do to reach Jesus. And to have him be your personal savior. You just have to accept him. That's your savior. And if that's you this morning, if that's something you want to do, then please come to the front. There will be people here that will be more than happy to pray with you and walk that journey with you. A better life starts today. A better life starts with the law of God. It is not a millstone around your neck, it is the recipe to a better life. Let's pray. Almighty Father God, Yahweh, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. The earth, Yahweh, is full of your mercy. Teach us your statutes, O Lord. You are good and do good. Will you teach us your statutes, Lord? Yahweh, let your tender mercies come to us, that we may live, for your law is our delight. Jesus Christ, our Savior, is our delight. Amen.